Superbrain is a labour of love. Alas, no podcast can survive on love alone. We don't have a sponsor, so we need your support for Superbrain to stay alive and kicking. You can make a one-off donation by following the Support This Show link in the show or episode description. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello. And welcome to Superbrain, the podcast for everyone with a brain. My name is Sabina Brennan and this is your weekly Superbrain booster shot to help you transform your everyday brain into a superbrain. The show notes for Monday's episode, The Stories We Tell, say that my guest Ruth Gilligan and I talk about empathy and storytelling, motherhood and mad cows, identity and Irishness, tradition and modernity, but time and again we come back to storytelling and empathy. As an author and lecturer in creative writing, Ruth obviously has an interest in storytelling and through her activism as an ambassador for Narrative 4, a global not-for-profit which uses the power of stories to foster radical empathy in young people around the world, she has a specific interest in empathy. I too am interested in both the stories that we tell ourselves and others and in empathy. As an actor, I guess uh, my job was to tell my character's story and get the audience to empathise with my character. To do that, I drew on my own capacity for empathy to both identify with my character and to feel what she was feeling. When I played Ruth's mother in Fair City, that was often very tough since she was regularly abused by her husband and I often came home from work emotionally drained and irrationally short with my own husband. In the recent Superbrain Booster episode on loneliness, I spoke about how social isolation and loneliness can change our brains in ways that make us less empathetic. In recent years, I've become concerned that social media and living so much of our lives online at a distance from others may be eroding our empathy. I'm particularly concerned about people whose main mode of communication is through social media or other online modes. I wonder whether the generations that are currently growing up with or have grown up with the internet are getting enough opportunities to practice empathy. Empathy is a complex skill that can fade without practice. Please let me know if you think that I'm way off the mark in thinking that social media is making people less empathetic. Certainly, anecdotally, it seems that way to me. I think that something that was designed to build social connections has largely, now not totally, but largely become a cold, unfeeling place filled with trolls, bullies, unfeeling eggheads, contrarian bots and regular humans who seem to think that anyone who disagrees with their viewpoint is fair game or not worthy of empathy. People empathise best when they can see other people's pain. 
But the way we've shaped our world means that opportunities for that to happen are occurring less and less often. Of course, these are just musings off the top of my head, but research does suggest that we are becoming less empathetic. The average American college student in 2009 was less empathetic than 75% of students in 1979. That's just one of the findings from a meta-analysis that looked at changes in empathy in 72 samples of American college students between 1979 and 2009. The analysis, which looked at the empathy test scores of over 13,000 students, showed a pronounced drop in empathetic concern and perspective-taking from the year 2000 onwards. What is empathy anyway? Is it always good? Is it something that can be practised? Can empathy be learned? And is, as Ruth and Narrative 4 suggest, storytelling a way to teach empathy? So what is empathy? Well, the notion of empathy actually emerged in the mid-19th century from the philosophy of beauty and taste, known as aesthetics. The German word, and I apologise in advance for my pronunciation or mispronunciation, Einfühlung, was used to describe feeling an emotional resonance with a work of art. Philosopher and psychologist Theodore Lips expanded this aesthetic concept of empathy to mean feeling one's way into the experience of another. Since then, lots of other more scientifically precise definitions have emerged. For example, the American Psychological Association definition is understanding a person from his or her frame of reference rather than from one's own or vicariously experiencing that person's feelings, perceptions and thoughts. While the second half of that definition is not bad, I still prefer feeling one's way into the experience of another. Having said that, philosopher Martin Bauber's I and thou definition, when juxtaposed with the unempathetic I and it, makes for a powerful contrast of empathy, respect and concern of thou against the objectifying and dehumanising it that we see so frequently today. And as I said when chatting to Ruth, Caroline Flack comes to mind again and again. She wasn't an it or a thing, but people viewed her as a celebrity. And making her a celebrity does, in a way, make her an it. But she's a living, breathing, or she was, a living, breathing, feeling human being who at the very least deserved our empathy. And had she felt our empathy, who knows? When my first son was very little, he asked a lot of questions. And I can actually remember exactly where I was. Um, the very moment that he said, Mummy, why are cows? I was totally taken aback. And at that moment, I realised that not only was he smart, he was only about three at the time, um, he probably was smarter than me. And I was right. He was very smart. But my point is that it is always important to ask why. So why empathy? Well, truth be told, we don't know. But some clever people have theorised that empathy may have evolved to help us to detect danger, to act like a sort of social antenna. From a survival perspective, it makes perfect sense that being able to make a mental model of someone else's perspective or intent could help save our lives, especially if that other person is an intruder who may intend to do us harm. 
Empathy, of course, also helps us to connect with others and plays a critical role in social interaction, in the sharing of skills and of experiences and of desires in ways that promote helping behaviour. Empathy is complex. It requires us to perceive the emotions of others, resonate with them emotionally, understand them cognitively, understand their perspectives and distinguish our emotions from their emotions. One twin study showed that understanding someone's perspective is more heavily influenced by genetics, while understanding or resonating emotionally with others is more influenced by experience. When we feel another person's pain, the distress that we experience often motivates us to respond with compassion and offer assistance. This motivation to end another person's pain contributes to the survival of the species, which fundamentally depends on mutual aid. We tend to talk about empathy as if it is goodness itself, but is empathy inherently good? The answer, I think, is probably no, because empathy is fundamentally biased. We generally tend to feel more empathetic towards our own. Now, what does that mean? Well, I guess, for example, it could mean that empathy is racist, since we tend to be, since we tend to feel more empathetic towards people of our own. We generally tend to feel more empathetic towards our own. It's a phrase I hate. What does that mean? I mean, well, I guess it means, for example, that empathy is racist since we tend to since we tend to feel more empathetic towards people of our own tribe, our own group, our own ethnicity, our own background, and towards those who share common goals with us or beliefs with us. So if you think about it that way, then empathy can lead us to veer away from values of equality and fairness when we feel less empathy for people outside our community or ethnicity. So if you think about it that way, empathy can lead us to veer away from values of equality and fairness when we feel less empathy for people outside our own community or ethnicity, for example, and, 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 and only feel empathy towards our own, in inverted commas. I feel that nationalism I feel that nationalism is a prime example of that. When we talk of people who need shelter from poverty or homelessness, violence or whatever, when when people from other countries or other ethnicities or nationalities are in need, a frequent argument is around let's look after our own first. These biases are played out across religions, schools, sports, teams, and so on. And people, humans, I guess, are hardwired to recognise and respond to differences to protect our own tribe. And because of this evolutionary bias, we really do need to be wary of acting emotionally on these biases and consciously need to activate our cognitive, our thinking empathy for those who differ from us. So we need to consciously ensure that we are displaying empathy to all humans, not just those who belong to our tribe, whatever that might mean. I feel I'm a human and that's my tribe. The scope and intensity of empathy can also play tricks that are less than fair. For example, there's a really interesting study that showed this. When people are asked to donate money to save a panda or to save four pandas, what do you think might happen? 
Well, the research indicates that when you are shown the figures, the numbers, in a factual, unempathetic way, for example, if each panda is represented by a dot, um, people are more likely to donate more money to save the four pandas. However, if you show the more empathy-inducing photographs of an actual panda bear, one panda bear versus four panda bears, what do you expect might happen? Perhaps you might expect that people will donate even more to the four bears that need to be saved. In fact, what the research shows is that the empathy-inducing images elicit the same donation for one bear as they do for all four bears together. So, essentially... When shown empathy-inducing images of actual bears, why is that? Well, essentially, the image of just one panda elicits such a high level of empathy that showing pictures of four more pandas can't turn the empathy dial up any further. Another way in, em- in another way in which empathy might not be beneficial is if um, we experience too much empathy and it overwhelms you, leaving you paralysed and unable to act to provide aid. And and a thing called empathy overload can also occur and lead to burnout and emotional shutdown in some professions, including those where probably empathy is needed most, um, such as medicine, uh, you know, among therapists, aid workers, first responders, doctors, journalists, and so on. We tend to associate caring professions with empathy, but the hard reality is that for doctors, empathy actually declines as medical students progress through their medical training. Which kind of brings me nicely to my final question. Can empathy be practised or learned? So given this issue around empathy declining as people study to become doctors and the fact that they need to be empathetic in order to be good doctors, researchers um, have looked at this issue um, in some detail. In one particular study, to assess whether doctors' empathy could be trained, researchers administered three 60-minute empathy training modules to one group and three standard medical education modules to another group. Patients then assessed the doctor's performance, not knowing who was in which group. The findings from the study showed an increase in empathy in the empathy training group and an actual decline in empathy in the group who just had normal medical education modules. The good news is that in those who had the training modules, their increased empathy was associated with increased patient satisfaction and increased compliance with treatment recommendations. So... How can you train empathy? Well, I'm sure Ruth will be delighted to know that reading fiction can expand our capacity for empathy. Uh, This is something that I really want to explore further in more detail, and I will definitely come back to it again in a future podcast. Similarly, I want to come back and explore the neuroscience of empathy, what happens in our brain uh, when we empathize. Um, But For now, I'm going to leave you with um, some ways that we can train empathy. Having friends um, from different social groups helps immensely. So I think we really need to actively seek diversity in our friends and our social groups. Um, Practicing loving kindness meditation also helps. 
Um, simply practicing empathy by paying full attention to other people's feelings and experiences, irrespective of how different that you feel that these other people are from you. Make an effort to look beyond your own culture and your own worldview. Seek out other experiences. Make an effort to question your own stories or the stories that you've been told since you were a child. Look for opportunities to step into other people's shoes. Allow your imagination to wander. Have conversations and make a commitment to listening to to what other people are saying and feeling and their needs without interrupting. And don't be afraid to share your own vulnerabilities. You might find commonality with others through that. Explore art, literature, film, whatever from other cultures. Chat to strangers in a safe way, in queues, you know, in the supermarket or whatever. Um, Oh, gosh, yes, in the queues during coronavirus. Social distancing. The queues can be quite long. Um, On social media, don't immediately put down or make fun of those who have a different viewpoint from you. That's far too easy. Stretch yourself a little. Consider why the person might hold their viewpoint. Tease apart the differences. Explore the grey areas. See if there are any areas of commonality. Everything's not black and white. Everything is not us and them. In fact, There really is only us, us humans, and we're all in this together. I'm afraid that's all I have time for in this episode, but I'm not done with empathy. I've barely touched the tip of the iceberg. I'm sure I'm going to return to empathy time and again. My name is Sabina Brennan, and you've been listening to Superbrain, the podcast for everyone with a brain. You can subscribe on Acast, Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, if you loved it, rate it, like it, and share it. Stay safe. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.